Hello, welcome back to the Keys Coach podcast. My name's Adam, and this is the podcast where I sit down with piano, keys, and synth players and talk all things music. This is part two of our Christmas special. If you haven't already heard part one, do go back and listen to that first. In this episode, I sit down again with keys player and arranger Simeon Smith, and we chat about all kinds of different things, our plans for New Year's Eve, what our practice routines look like, why it's great to practice harmonized scales, why transcribing can sometimes transport you back in time to various periods of your life. And we also share some highlights of some of our favorite moments from the podcast so far. This was a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed this one. Before we dive in, this is a quick announcement to say that I'll be taking two weeks off the podcast in January. There won't be any episodes on the 4th or the 11th of January, but we'll be back on the 18th. I'm recording a bunch of new episodes for you. And because you clicked on this episode, I'm going to give you a taste of what's to come in 2024. We have episodes coming up with the amazing singer-songwriter Julian Villard. I recorded that episode a few days ago. I loved chatting to him. We're also going to be chatting with UK producer and keys player Nicky Brown. He's also one of the MDs of the London Community Gospel Choir. So many amazing things in that episode. We're going to be talking to Danny McGinley, who plays with Nal Haran. And we're also going to be chatting with Dennis Ham, who plays with Thundercat and Lewis Cole, amongst many others. Some of these episodes I've already recorded, and I can tell you there are so many great conversations coming up for you in 2024. The podcast is also going to be available as video to watch as well as listen to. Soon you'll be able to stream these episodes on YouTube and see and hear all these conversations conversations. More news on that coming very soon. I'm super excited for 2024. So many plans for the podcast, the YouTube channel, or designed to help take your keys playing to the next level. I can't wait. Okay, let's dive into today's episode. Here's part two of the Keys Coach Christmas special with the amazing Simeon Smith. Here we go, part two. We're back back in the saddle. Back in the saddle. Yeah, I know. I haven't blotted my copybook. It's great. No, you it's, haven't it's, at all. It's, it's proper good. live it's good. feedback. You know, you do an episode and then you get asked back like the same day. You know, you must not have completely <laughs> messed it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. 100%. I, I, I've... Um, I've put together that episode and uh, yeah, it sounds great. Really interesting. I'm, I'm not. Ent- I'm still not entirely sure what we chatted about, but we chatted about a bunch of different things. Yeah, I, it kind of uh, passed me by as a sort of yeah. It, it, time passed, but I'm not sure kind of what what we said really. So I'm I'm intrigued to listen back and and probably yeah. learn from whatever we said because I've probably forgotten all of it now. 28th of December. So this is when this episode's going out, which 28th. is kind. Of, sorry, I've got a Huel here. I don't know. Are you into Huel? Huel, you know, I don't. I don't think I've ever tried it, um, but I know it's human fuel. Um, yeah, it's, you can see what they did with the name. It's really good. It's just like it's it's the sort of the breakfast for people that sort of would normally just sort of dash out the door and grab something on the way to work or something. But it's just you can quickly make it. It's like this powder. Um, I've just been you're drinking it for years. It's really good. Just if I'm is it a I'm, Steve Bartler thing? Oh yeah, he is an investor in it. Right, that's why I associate it with him. Their marketing's amazing. The Huel Huel marketing. It's always on that like Diary of a CEO podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, anyway. he he integrates his marketing in that podcast incredibly well. Yeah, where he kind of almost he he talks about the product but in a way that makes it seem completely relevant to the discussion at hand. Yeah, uh, and it kind of means that you never skip it. It's, I don't know. I don't quite know how he does it. It just kind of sneaks up on you. And then by the time you've kind of got, you've listened to like two minutes of marketing and, 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 and you kind of enjoyed mm. it. Have you, um, he's, he's, sorry, this has gone massively off piste already, but I'm, I'm kind of loving it. <laughs> Have you checked out, um, sorry, I should say as well, Simeon isn't feeling very well today. He's got, uh, he's got the Christmas flu. Yeah, it's horrible. I hope you can't hear it too much in my crackly voice and just, you yeah. know, 
general. Mate, oh you God, sound, you you sound really radio ready as ever. <gasps> Gosh. Oh, dear. That's a horrible sound. That, that was a horrible sound. I might keep that one in, though, just so people <laughs> just know to, that you're not lying. Just to humiliate me. Yeah. No, what was I going to say about Steve Bartlett is he's got a vlog now that he does. Uh, every sort of two weeks and it's like a uh, it's like a fly on the wall thing all about what he gets up to and how he makes that podcast and because that podcast is just huge now you know it's on like airlines and it yeah. gets played in like it's in prisons as well and all these kind wow. of different things it's like these different um yeah it's like super inspiring anyway well, that'll yeah. be you that'll be you before long <laughs> be, ever, all, all, yeah, the, all the pri- all the all the kind of inmates will be wanting a nord <laughs> but yeah, no, it's twenty eighth, twenty eighth of December. This is going out, so Christmas has already happened. What's your um, what's your, what do you normally do on New Year's Eve? What's your kind of New Year's oh, Eve setup? Do you know what New Year's Eve? Um, I, I I I last year, I went I went to a place in Dorking on the hills and took a lantern and right. just watched all the fireworks. Me 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 and my partner, we just went up there and 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 like there was a party like in the hotel below us. So we we went to that briefly and then we went up into the hills and then everyone was terrified of us because they thought it was some ghost sort of traveling along the tree line. They could see us from a distance. It was like midnight and we we were up there at midnight, but it was it was actually quite a spooky experience, but I think we're going to repeat that maybe. Um that so that would be really nice. It's actually kind of weirdly fun. Like it was just a kind of random idea. There's this lovely little hotel uh, down in Den. I don't know if you know Denby's wine estate. It's one of the kind of one of the biggest vineyards in in England, which is yeah. Isn't I think I've much. been there actually. Um, I think I went there. To, yeah, that's where my friends just moved. I think I went there the other day for like a um, uh, like they've got a massive winery and you sort of sit outside and you can yeah. drink. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, that's that's it. And and yeah, you can you have a bit of wine. There's always like a little party down there, and then you can go up into the into the hills afterwards. It's completely dark, but I took this little lantern, and I think we ended up looking like I don't know the, the ghost of Florence Nightingale, just kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wandering the distance. And I think we came back down, and then everyone was like, we were terrified. We thought it was a ghost up there (laughs) (laughs) but i think yeah something like that actually it'd be quite quite nice i might might do a repeat act of that one um what about about you adam what do you don't know i don't normally do a huge amount on christmas uh, on um, new year's eve there used to be like a time where i was going out and doing loads of gigs on new year's eve so each new year's eve i'd sort of dash off to a different part of the country but i don't do that so much anymore i've kind of sort of stopped that sort of side of it so i um i think we're going to like a little uh new year's eve party i think that's going to be the plan basically i don't think it's going to be too raucous i remember one time though we went to primrose hill that was fun and looked at the fireworks all across london though i think everyone oh, thought yeah. that the fireworks yeah. were going to be like massive though when you look at from the top of Prim- primrose hill for anyone who doesn't live in london there's like this really nice view where you can see right the way over town and it's kind of just like to the north of north of central london and i think we kind of thought that the fireworks were going to be really big and sort of above us but they were like these tiny little kind of just like sparklers yeah. that went off and it was like yeah. oh everyone's a bit like yeah. oh but it was quite fun though. There's a really good like atmosphere and stuff. And they had loads of food and drink and stuff. So yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, distant fireworks look quite weird, don't <laughs> yeah. they? It's like a kind of tiny little like a like a bit of broccoli or something on the horizon. It's just like yeah. radioactive cauliflower or something. It's a very, radioactive it's cauliflower. Funny, yeah. There we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it yeah. looks like. Yeah. That is the yeah, one. I, I do the same thing at Epsom at Epsom Downs, which is like um again, it's just more my neck of the woods, but you can see across the whole of London <clears throat> from, from there. And you get the same kind of thing you just get all these displays but it's absolutely crazy i mean the whole sky just the horizon is just like one radioactive broccoli after another 
it's it's a <laughs> impressive it's quite a cool experience yeah yeah i just did a uh this is a sneak peek for anyone listening to the podcast but i just did an interview last night when i got back from the cotswolds with um dennis ham who is an amazing uh keys player who plays with thundercat uh noah oh, wow. in that trio and uh i've probably seen him a few um, times alice smith yeah he's he's absolutely amazing and he's got oh man yeah so many amazing uh insights yeah just incredible dennis ham okay talking yeah. about i just listened to um yeah go for adam it. dennis oh adam dennis you listen to that one yeah he's great he's great yeah. really great adam he's a, he's a good friend yeah he's he's just so many i saw actually the royal variety because he does all of the music for that as well the royal variety performance and all yeah. that kind of stuff plays yeah that, that i band. thought that was fascinating actually because one of the things that the podcast has sort of taught me over the past few months is that actually a lot of professional keys players don't have or don't place a lot of emphasis on sight reading and on, on reading mm. charts but i think actually adam was talking uh very much about how important that is you know in his setting to be able to do that and i thought that was that was really really interesting yeah um, I, I spoke about that with dennis as well and he was you know he was saying that he goes through and he puts chord symbols i mean i shouldn't ruin the episode because people can listen to it but he goes through and he puts chord symbols over anything that's fully notated which I've been guilty mm. of doing. I remember when I was doing my grade I, eight. I have done that before. When I was doing yeah, my grade eight piano, I just used to go through and write B flat minor seven or whatever it was and just go and write it over yeah. the top. And I don't know why. It just sort of helped me then double check that the notes I was playing was right and also just help confirm what I thought it might be when I was reading it and... Yeah. yeah no it's a strange thing that because i've i didn't do that for my for my grade exams because if um fans of the pre previous podcast will maybe remember that i I did all of that stuff by ear so i was kind of learning that music very much by ear i did grade eight when i was quite young and uh, i didn't actually look at the music at all i did it all from memory all completely by ear but like since like when i when i have to do kind of I don't know, like difficult accompaniment parts in particular, you know, where you've literally got about five minutes before yeah. you have to perform it in front of, you know, a few hundred people. Then I have done that. It's like a few kind of little, little chord annotations. Yeah. It makes such it. a difference. It's funny me. how that's easier in a way, in a way. Isn't yeah. it? It's funny how reading that is fine, but then sort of the, the dots can, can kind of almost be a, an information overload. It's a strange it's a strange one. I think some people create their own kind of chord symbol language. Uh, one of the things I've definitely, like, because you can write chord symbols in sev several different ways, right? So, for yeah. example, are you a, like, for this chord here, um, uh, let me do it there, let me put that there. I'm on the roads, by the way, uh, Simeon's on the piano. So, uh, oh, that's good. Is that C add nine or is it C yeah. two? That's a really good question because actually I, I've I've learned a little bit from you that that actually and I think the the more logical answer is that that should be C two mm. because although add nine of course implies that you're adding it to a triad and you don't have the seven mm. um, I, I always called it an add nine I, I if you if you want my my kind of straightforward answer I I grew up like the first time I played that chord which I did a lot because I used to play like cheesy Disney stuff mm. and it's everywhere um, I, I would always call that an add nine. Mm. Um, but actually, I, you know, since, you know, teaching with you and actually using some of your materials and chatting to you about it, actually, I do see a strong lo logical case for for two. Yeah. Um, because there's no seven. Because there's no seven. And, and it gets really confusing because people are like, well, nine, the idea is that anytime you have a nine, 11 or a 13, there is already a seven. And even if you add the word yeah. add, I think it's just confusing. Although that doesn't really... Yeah, I completely agree. Although you kind of run, run into problems where you have six nine so if you have a chord like this so say six c six nine would be c e g a and d 
mean, really, if yeah. you're going by the same logic, that should be six two, right? Yeah, that's true. Two, yeah, six, it should be. Know. But it's but we call it a six nine because that's like the standard vocabulary. It's a really good point. Um, I guess like suspended chords generally. I mean, like I would call like this chord which is kind of a four over five chord. Mm-hmm. Um, I, call, I, 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 I just call that a sus chord, um, but I, I can also see the logic of four over five, but that's something, again, that I didn't used to sort of refer to that chord as. But then the, the notes are suspended um, because you don't also have... So it's kind of almost like one or the other. Mm-hmm. So if you have a two, then you shouldn't have... Because you're suspending a note, mm-hmm. then you shouldn't really have the three. Yeah. Um, and the same with the four. If you've got a sus four, then you shouldn't really have the three in yeah. there. Otherwise, it should be called an eleven, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's a di- it's a really really tricky one. But like that kind of chord, I mean, which you hear absolutely everywhere in popular music. I mean, add to uh, just to call it a two chord. See, even so, even then, I'm add. I'm using the word add, aren't yeah, I? Yeah, which yeah. is like the very word you're trying to avoid. Add two, add nine. I think I would probably call it an add chord, just because that distinguishes it from a seventh chord. It's so interesting, though. When you when that discovering those chords completely changed. I think for me, they were the biggest thing that sort of changed my language on the piano, my harmonic language on the piano. Those add nine. That well, whatever you call yeah. them, add nine, two, sus two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Just to be able to, to, it gets it. It's like a quick fix to get away from this. I was let me let me bring down an octave actually. Rather than this, it becomes mm. like a hug. It's like yeah. suddenly it's yeah, like it's that voice leading is just so gorgeous because yeah. you're moving very few notes. Yeah, I, I think I think that's something that's really. I remember discovering that and kind of just then putting it everywhere. And then you have to be really careful that you yeah. don't use it everywhere because it loses it, it loses its effect. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, how many if you were if you were kind of being asked to play keys for like somebody singing a mm. I don't know an Adele song or like a John Lennon's or any any kind of basic song that you could just play by ear, would you automatically add that to yeah to to a to a major triad? Me too. Yeah, or, or, I would never just play a triad. Or at least every other one. I mean, I think yeah. I think, and I, I'm actually going to do a video about this, but one of the things that um, I used to practice a lot was harmonizing scales. Have you ever done yeah, that? Yeah. So where you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, where you go? Yeah. So rather than, I, I find it really weird that people, when they're learning piano, there's so many different ways of doing oh, it. Oh, hundred, yeah, and that's part of the fun. But when we practice scales, right? You know, it's we're playing every. every we're just playing single notes in both hands. It's really useful for technique, but actually piano players, they think about harmony all the time. They think about chords. So actually, it's much more beneficial to to play everything harmonized or at least try and be able to harmonize each scale in, um, you know, in, in four parts or something, you know, yeah. with a triad in the right hand and the bass note in the left hand. I'll show you yeah, what one I you used end to up do. With kind yeah, of go like, on, you give it a go. Like... that i mean the very kind of classical yeah. sounding thing or you can do a much more modal uh and and sort of scale theory kind of absolutely i mean the one i used to do the one i used to practice in all keys was this so i used to go like that yeah. and you come down and then what i used to do was i used to find a suspension on each note so mm. let me show you this so uh, except for the first and the last chord each one of the chords I would find like an add two or a sus four or something to add in and it, I'd move it. So there'd be like two like harmonic movements on each chord. Yeah. So watch this. 
I used to do that in each key. And like that used to, what I used to find by harmonizing scales like that was that I actually, the key, you get so used to the feeling of the key yeah. under your fingers. Yes. So the feeling of D flat or the feeling of A, and because you're going through all of the chords in that key, it, I just found that to be such a powerful thing to practice yeah. rather than just whizzing up and down the scales, which is only kind of useful kind of up to a point in a way actually agreed yeah it becomes a sort of like a gym almost a workout for the fingers but not for the brain and you're kind of yeah exactly exactly yeah it's 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 funny though isn't it because you kind of establish a a kind of a muscle memory around these things and then it's about being able to tap into that at will but then also be able to use your brain when you need to in order to modify what you're doing to fit the context so you have to almost you know in the way that you might have sort of standard chord vocabulary under the fingers even more complex chords but then you would kind of mm. know when to when to modify them and, and that and that the kind of reduces the number of variables when you're kind of making improvisational decisions you kind of you, you only have to say invert a chord or you have to just add a, a, a note instead of kind of constructing the entire thing from scratch and it's a little bit like what we were saying yeah. last time actually like thinking about cliche movement and then how you use that effectively i suppose is something something like that but yeah no i really like those exercises i might try and incorporate those i mean i i think the thing for me is like those kind of warm-up exercises and and sort of mental workout on the keys um i i have to try to limit how much of that i do because i find it to be and i, I don't know if listeners will relate to this but i find it to be like a massive disincentive to play and and the way to really sort of put your chops to the test is actually to play real music i find and so actually right. what i what i do yeah. is i've got this document um that i use for my for my practice um and it's it's just lays out so so for example you said you you did that exercise in every key um i, I what i what i do in my practice is i i pick a key so i have like a, a key of the day if that makes sense and i do everything in that mm. key um so all my warm-up exercises oh, nice. i just do in that key um all the tunes that i might play through I, I transpose and play in that key um so sort of everything is in that the universe of that key um and and but nice. actually in some ways I, I wish that i did do a bit more sort of transposition on the same day if that makes sense so you're kind of going through the the keys chromatically or whatever like 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 what you were doing because that in itself that ability to kind of modulate rapidly is also quite useful and to kind of be able to switch your oh, brain 100%, yeah um, i think it's just a case of doing like a mix isn't yeah. it if you can mix it up you know what that's really interesting that you got a do, you got a document yeah i do i've just, I've, I've just pulled of, it up just so i'm not talking rubbish but what's um, it got on it i'm bet everyone would love to hear what you practice each day yeah i mean this is if i if i can i mean the thing is when i get a moment i mean i, I try to practice every day if i can um but uh, for me it's been a kind of a, a matter of sort of balancing efficiency with um yeah. a, 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 with, with and sort of making it so that it's not a massive disincentive to kind of actually play i mean i, I can be quite sort of um what's the word um fixated on routines to the point where actually it's quite debilitating because actually you want to just be able to play a tune quite quickly but you're like well before i have the right to play a tune i have to have done all my warm-ups in this way <laughs> like you almost have to like yeah it's, it's almost becomes kind of ritualistic so i try quite hard in, to kind of make that process as efficient as i can covering as much material as i can in in sort of a short amount of time as possible so i can then get to the real stuff without kind of so you, so you actually end up enjoying your practice i suppose but um yeah so what have i got um i've so i've got a little table that has all 12 uh 
pictures um and then i've got a little tally so so when i've done a particular key i'll tick it off and then the, the next day I'll, I'll know which one i'm on and how many times i've done it it's just an iterative thing it's just got loads and loads of ticks on it um then i have a kind of a warm-up the first thing is a warm-up which i do han i do hannon type exercises i think you've have you i think oh, you may yeah. have mentioned those on the podcast before if yeah that's 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 the friend yeah. a familiar friend um and i just do it in the key of the day so whatever the key of the yeah. day is i'll play the hannon all the way up the keys just to get your hands moving just like the exercise one yeah but yeah just the exercise one that yeah just that but then etc etc all the way up um yeah and then and then i do a kind of uh, i've written it here as a grand scale because i guess because i i play jazz pop and classical so i kind of have to have a routine that incorporates elements of all three i suppose so this is my my grand scale in the key of the day which is a kind of a classical warm-up routine really where you go up and then you and then when you get to that point you do contrary motion running out of sorry my mic is now blocking my hands so i can't do the whole thing uh, and then you come and then you come down again so that's that i do that in the key of the day and then i do actually something which i think is more familiar to to, to what to what you do which is what i call choir chords in all 12 keys so choir chords is a little bit like uh the the kind of warm-up exercise you were talking about but a kind of simpler so it's instead of harmonizing the entire scale it's just going up in fourth so it's like and then And, and I kind of do that just to have every key under my finger, I suppose. So uh, from what I heard there. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Do you, you exactly. kind of do a one and four in each of the keys. Yeah. And then, and then I have a sort of inner motion that goes, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's basic really. And then, sorry, I don't know what, my brain is, is not functioning. And you just keep kind of play a dominant and then go to the next one the reason why i do it is just because i use it for choir warm-ups right okay yeah, yeah. choir so it's quite nice to have it under my fingers I, I i guess it's just a way of expanding the brain and making sure that you're able to play in every key on a particular day yeah or, or at least feel like you've covered that i suppose something like that and then i do a sort of jazz version of that right um which is uh basically sort of dominant so you're kind of like so <clears throat> basically it's 13ths and then you kind of do two different versions of the 13th chord I'm at a very weird angle but yeah it's that kind of and, and that kind of goes goes all the way around the circle of fifths as well uh, so those are my two sort of every key exercises and then I do kind of get more deeper into the actual key of the day which is in, involves going through all the modes um, of the major scale, going through all the modes of the melodic minor scale, including arpeggios, seventh arpeggios. Of, um, of, the, of all those different modes as well? Yeah, uh, just within oh, the wow. key. So if, so if I do like C major, then I go through all of the modes uh, of the C major scale and then all of the modes of the C melodic minor scale. Um, I tend to focus more on melodic minor than harmonic minor, actually. Right, um, why is that? I don't, I don't know. I think it's because harmonically... The, the the voicings that I use derive more from the melodic minor scale, right, um, so yeah. kind of like um, you know like uh, well basically anything like these kind of th those kind of chords those are all melodic minor mm. chords I use those quite a bit um, yeah I don't know actually in fact I, I might uh, throw that back to you and ask you because I feel like you are a harmonic minor fan. I don't know why is the harmonic minor useful. I guess it's that sound, isn't it? It's, it's any time in a minor key. 
when you get that's where it, it's yeah. like so not, not that yeah it's got you know it's that kind of sound yeah it's, it's got that the dominant it, it's got the major dominant the minor four and then yeah. the minor and the minor one um that i mean yeah it's it, i guess yeah i mean that it, and it makes sense why it's called harmonic minor in that context because yeah. it has because because those are the harmonic chords that i think you would expect in a diatonic context to to be in the key um, yeah i mean i used to practice those scales going through the harmonic minor yeah so when i used to i used to do exactly the same bass movement so it was originally with a major mm. then it when it's in the harmonic minor it becomes Becomes that, so then because yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, you know, and then you go. That's really nice. Oh, uh, what would it be on the way? To, God, I haven't done it for a while. That's it. That, no, that's definitely. That's it. And that to you me know. sounds like him. That sounds like hymnic kind of music. That yeah. to me, that 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 evokes an Anglican church. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's, beautiful, it's, actually. It's a beautiful sound because it's got that yeah. kind of that kind of bright five, but then all of that as well, which is like yeah. very much roots it. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the it sounds of, like kind of, kind of psalm, like kind of like psalms, or or you know, like those kind of anthems that you get in mm. kind of church services. Yeah. I'm interested you do that all with all the modes as well, all your arpeggios on all the modes. That's kind yeah. Of, so just give us a blast of what that sounds like. I mean, I think it's well, literally. I mean, so I, I so for a start, I start with the pentatonic, um, and I'll go up the pentatonic in that kind of way, um, and then I'll do kind of pentatonic groups. So that kind of thing uh, mm. and then i go through all the modes so like literally i mean i'm i sorry my um sort of space is a bit weird and i'm trying to talk into the mic but it's like and then and then i'll literally go dorian phrygian Lyd uh, lydian mixolydian aeolian and then um, locrian Back to the normal major scale. Oh, okay, and that's interesting. When you said that, I thought you meant that you do you do them all with the home note of C. You see, that is almost more useful. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I might actually almost do it that way. So you start, and I do it bright to dark. So you start off with Lydian, which is this sound. So you basically put that in a scale. That's beautiful. Come down, you do Ionian, Mixolydian, yeah. Dorian. Yeah, Dorian. Then it's Aeolian. Then it's uh, Phrygian. Yeah. Then it's uh, Locrian. Sorry, my brain's not working today as well. I've been away for the last. So you're days. going like super yeah, dark. Yeah, so you just go bright to dark. And then do you know the thing when you get to? Sorry, this has gone very nerdy. But you know when you get to see Locrian? Yeah. So you've basically flattened everything in the scale yeah. Yeah. each time. Each time you've gone up or down, you've flattened another note. Yeah. If you flatten the only note you haven't flattened yet, which is the root, so from C Locrian, and you flatten uh, the root, you suddenly get B Lydian. Yeah. If you That's flatten so nice. the C. So you can basically go through and do a whole warm-up exercise where you flatten a note each time you go up That's or down. That's amazing. And That's you can go so through cool. every single key. That almost makes me think of a sort of... Um, hyper mega meta lydian or something like that which yeah. i think is something different that jacob collier talks about um but the the i mean I, i'm i'm thinking also of um oh what's his name the guy that the guy that wrote that crazy theory book in the in the 50s oh, george russell um, 
George Russell, yeah. Is the it, is it kind of concept? It's kind of de- derived concept. from that. It's, yeah, it's where you. I mean, I'm not an expert in that book at all, but I think the most. I, as I couldn't even remember what it was called. <laughs> um, it's looking at it all through the lens of bright to dark, basically, and and looking at the different families of modes and yeah. all those kinds of things. Yeah, God, it's such a um, such an interesting area. I, I think the exercise actually playing through the modes from bright to dark in it with the same home home key, same home like note is mm. that, that does make a lot of sense. I think probably the reason why I didn't do that is because I almost consider those to be borrowings from other keys. And yes, so I kind of, yeah. because I think very much in terms of chord scale theory really, mm. and kind of how you derive harmony from subsets of pitch class sets, basically, which are scales. Um, I, I kind of try to very much root my brain in a single key center so i know which notes are permissible in that pitch class set if you like so you can build quite adventurous harmonies but kind of ones that are not deviating from that central pitch class set um so so i I guess that's probably why i went through the modes in that slightly more basic way so i know so i can kind of almost de what's the word kind of disassociate c major let's say from the actual note c and just think of it as a as a group of equally related pitches almost like a post-tonal kind of of looking at it Um, and that's kind of what it's what it's about but i don't know how useful that is actually thinking about it i do it almost as a as a sort of ritual but but these things do need regular sort of oh they need updating man yeah i've I've found that before you can just end up getting in the same patterns of practicing the same things and actually you sometimes need something just to kind of jump start jump start you and you you, then it opens up a whole new kind of uh way of looking at stuff as well and there lies the brilliance of the keys coach podcast (laughs) (laughs) oh bringing it back to business as usual should we do a little clip Yeah, let's do a clip. Absolutely. I was going to ask what, you what um, your favourites were, because I've got a few extra ones that I've um, written down. But oh I wanted man, to hear yeah. a few. I did make a list, but we didn't get onto any of them last time. No, um, we didn't. And I felt look. a bit bad about that. No, it's good. I wanted to hear yours. It's mine, kind of but... well. Here we go. I've I've written down a bunch of. I also had Ollie as one of my clips, but we've already had him. Yeah, and we said how brilliant him. he was in the last podcast. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll 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 leave Ollie out of this one, but as always, he's amazing. Um, I had a clip from uh fraser fraser churchill who is amazing singer songwriter he's not actually a keys player he's a guitarist and i loved that story about how he wrote uh baby i'll wait for michael buble's album Mm. and how that whole industry works the kind of songwriting industry where you're writing songs for other people and how you have various writing sessions and you sometimes have to hold various ideas back for specific sessions that you've maybe got coming up you think i'm gonna leave that idea for that session and and just about how this song basically came to be on Michael Bublé's album. So shall I jump into it? Shall I, shall I play the clip? Yeah, let's do it. I remember it was kind of in the middle of the pandemic and everybody had gone from working in writer's rooms to writing over Zoom. And I'd had a couple of rough Zoom sessions and nothing. there's nothing more awkward than sitting at a Zoom session and everybody, and you, with people you've never met before. And you're trying to write a song and no, you're not coming up with anything, right? It's really rough. So I remember having a few of those thinking, okay, I've got to be prepared um, and just have something in my back pocket. So I, 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 I'll never forget it. I was stood outside my apartment getting some fresh air in LA. I was living down in, by Redondo Beach in, uh, right, on the, right on the water. And all of a sudden it was like this kind of, this baseline came to me and it was like 
And it was this like up tempo six eight. Yeah, shuffly. And I hadn't heard something like that in a while. I thought that's such a nice groove. I wonder. Um, I wonder if I can come up with something in that in that vein. I remember having this melody, and honestly, the lyric kind of came with came to uh, at the same time. And I literally sprinted inside and uh, had just this feeling about this idea. And honestly, to this day, I haven't sprinted inside thinking, I got to get this idea down. And I just kind of knew it was it was a good one. And I remember sitting in my guitar for like 15 minutes and jamming through it. And it didn't take very long. I think within 15 minutes, I had the, the chorus. And I remember thinking, this next bit's really important, right? Mm. Who do I bring this idea to? Because um, collaboration is so important in this industry. And I remember looking at my calendar and in three weeks from that day, I was I had a session with a guy called Jason Reeves, who's one of the most genius lyricists I've ever worked with. He wrote Bubbly for Colby, um, Colby Calais. That's a great song. That's such uh, a He's had great so song, many amazing hits and he just speaks in poetry. He's like a freak of nature lyricist. And I was also, the third was a guy called Nathan Chapman. And he's known for producing every Taylor Swift album up until 1989. And uh, also an incredible lyricist, multi-instrumentalist. And I just knew that Nathan's production style mixed with Jason's lyric, lyric ideas um, and my kind of rough idea here this chorus i've written um we would just come up with magic they would be the perfect team to help me finish yeah. this idea so I, it was tough not to bring it up in other sessions honestly because i had it in my back pocket but and i had a couple of like slow songwriting starts in some other sessions and i was like oh this uh, could really like, oh, this would yeah. really get me out of the shit right now but i'm i'm gonna you save to it, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i had to yeah, save yeah. it and and i couldn't wait for this session so i finally got in with these guys and uh Nathan and I had already had one song. We'd written one song that had a bit of success. Um, funny enough, uh, a song I wrote with Mickey Guyton called Black Like Me. And it was a big song for her. It ended up being performed at the Grammys. And we had a real uh, click when we just loved working together and we really bounced off, off each other really well. So I remember bringing it in on the guitar and singing it to both of them. And they were really excited about the idea. Um, and Jason immediately flipped the lyric, like instantly. I can't remember exactly how my first version went, but it went something like, baby, I'll wait, I'll wait. You know that I'll wait for you. No, um, don't care how long it takes, right? Don't care how long it takes. And Jason said, what about forever and a day? Instead of don't care how long it takes. And it just sang so much better. And then I think we yeah. saved that don't care how long it takes for the next bit. No, we're meant to be together. I don't care how long it takes. And that was Nathan who kind of threw that lyric in on the on the B section of the chorus. So it was a real collaboration. Um, we had written it in like an hour and a half. It was pretty quick. Um, and my job was to send Nathan a vocal and a guitar. So I thought, wow, I'm going to give him loads of room to do his thing. So I did one electric guitar take through, one vocal with 
I didn't, don't even think I did any harmony. I just did one vocal and one a guitar, and I did some of these little offbeat chucks. In doom, chick, doom, chick, doom, chick, doom, chick. I didn't even give him the bass line, but I suggested it in my guitar part, and he kind of knew what I was trying to do. And so he laid down bass, Rhodes, BVs, live drums. He has a whole setup in his house, and he put it all down. Yeah. And I remember him sending it back to me and it just, just felt so special. Um, and I sent it into Warner and I had no idea actually that um, Buble was doing an album. And I had no idea he was looking for a song, um, but he was working with um, uh, John Bellion at the time and Michael Pollock who are like, and, and Ryan Tedder, um, like the three big cats in LA who are on all the records and uh, he, I, I think it was the only outside song he took um, on his record that was like an original song. He thought he did a bunch, he did some standards and he wrote a couple with some, with, you know, Ryan Tedder and, uh, but Baby I'll Wait was the only outside pitch on the record. And uh, it was produced, um, it was produced up from scratch. He didn't take any of the, any of the parts, but I remember getting it sent back and finally hearing Buble's vocal on it. And, uh, he pretty much sang it like note for note. He followed every inflection that I that I did on the day, and that was probably the the coolest part of the whole experience. Was like hearing one of my idols, um, just a just like the song. And apparently, he listened to it for two three weeks in the car, and he played it to his family, and everybody loved it. And he was they were all on board with it, and uh, it was a really amazing email uh, to get from from my publishers publisher saying, Hey, Buble loves this. He keeps playing it. And I think he's going to record it. And then finally getting, getting the, the new version from Greg Wells, who ended up producing the entire album. Yeah. He's amazing Fraser. I think he's wicked. He's a, uh, he's so talented. And I just love the fact that all of his songs are just so hooky and you just, they're instantly yeah. memorable. Yes, um, yeah. So powerful. Uh, yeah. Go on, what, give me give me one of yours. Well, that kind of links quite nicely, actually, to 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 one of mine, which was because uh, obviously Fraser's a guitarist, and and learning from other instrumentalists, I think, is is so powerful. Um, and Pete Churchill talks a lot about that, and sort of how how he learned a lot from James Taylor in particular, who's obviously an amazing fingerstyle guitarist. Um, and sort of how, and and I guess that's also how I started as well because I always dreamed of playing the guitar when I was a kid and I never really yeah. had the opportunity to do so and so I used to transcribe quite a lot of guitar music at the piano um, and play it so you know the kind of even something like Stairway to Heaven or something I remember as a teenager I'd play that on the piano and people thought that was quite cool um, yeah. but kind of learning from and Jim, I'm such a huge James Taylor fan as well and sort of the the, the way you think about embodying harmony it's so different on a guitar and it's so different depending on what instrument you're, you're using, even actually different keyboards, like mm. embodying, embodying that. I mean, if, if you switch to, you know, I've got a nice, um, got a nice kind of Hammond sound. I mean, like, you, you know, the way you play chords, the way you voice things, just, just, just on an, on an organ, which behaves so differently to a, to a piano based instrument, even a Rhodes, um, it, it just, it just changes the way you think. And I think we all kind of know this, but it's good to be aware of it. It's like, yeah. you know, even, even if you get a different piano sound, I, I discovered the other day, actually, I was, cause, cause Adam and I both work at Trinity Larvin and, um, I came in early before my nine o'clock class and, and there's a lovely Nord stage four in the classroom we teach in. Um, and it was just on the Pearl Upright sound, which is this sound. 
which I don't know if you can get that uh, kind of hit, kind of hear what kind of sound that is, but it's this sort that's of beautiful old upright yeah. piano, the one that sounds like it's been sitting in a kind of schoolroom in in Germany or something for for fifty years, and it just has so much personality. And I just played that for like. 45 minutes just kind of mm. exploring the sound and it changes the way you play i love that when you find a new sound and it just and, it, and things come out of your fingers that wouldn't have come out had you not have found it found that sound yeah that's the, one of the great things about and i why I, does know, that happen i don't know i think it goes to a different place in your brain and you're just kind of the adrenaline of this new sound you're making yeah. i get that particularly with hammond as well because and it's, it's very interesting you say that with hammond because hammond is the only way you can sustain notes like mm. if you think about the, the like a Rhodes, a Whirly, um, a piano and a Hammond, just like forgetting kind of synths and all that, just four basic yeah. kind of key sounds. R uh, Hammond is the only one where you can actually just sustain a note for ages. and Forever, yeah. Forever, exactly. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> until we run out of electricity. Until we run out of electricity, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and you can just create these amazing sounds with that. And, um, yeah. and it also just makes you play so differently because you can sustain. That's just yeah. so... You can't do that on a piano. So that I think that's partly to do with it. But yeah, I love that Pearl upright sound. So good. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, I just I, I've now got it as one of my live mode presets that I just go to every 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 so often. Like probably give probably us a little like, blast of it. Give us a blast of it. Just like it's just got this kind of warmth in the mid range, which is so nice. And in the low range, it's. It's got the, can you hear that sort of, it's got this kind of yeah. twangy kind of overtone. And then, and then actually I'll tell you what I used, I did when I, when I played it for ages was it's so nice that these kind of runs. It's just got this sort of, it speaks, it's kind of speaking to you. It's got a human sort of sound to it. It's um, it's just one of the default Nord sounds. But it's yeah. a, it's a really gorgeous one, and there's a, it's, it's like almost like halfway between a sort of upright sound and a felt piano sound. And, and felt piano yeah. sounds are quite trendy. They're also quite very cool. trendy. Yeah, um, I do like playing a felt piano, um, but I almost prefer the Pearl upright because it has so much more clarity with the runs, yeah. and so kind of playing more, um, you know, that kind of stuff. It just um it kind of picks out the notes really beautifully. It's a, yeah, it's a felt good sound. piano doesn't have that sort of same clarity in the same way, no. does it? Because it doesn't have that attack that kind of a, a kind of like a piano like that, that, that piano like that has, you know. Yeah, no, um, I think I've, I've got rid of my felt piano on here, so I can't access it really quickly, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's so nice for kind of warm, big, rich. Yeah. Kind of Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer type chords. Um, it's quite a filmic yeah. sound, isn't it? The felt piano. It sounds like yeah. movie music. Exactly. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. I love yeah. the fact, by the way, just jumping back to the clip that we've got, <laughs> we've got Pete and Fraser. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's Fraser's yeah. um, Pete's son. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I love that. So yeah. let me let me cut in that clip now, so everyone can hear it. If you haven't checked this out, this is from uh, Pete Churchill's episode from uh, earlier this year. So I've got this. I, I suddenly realised as I was doing it that there has been this unquestionable unquestioned kind of um, methodology called keyboard harmony. Yeah. Everybody studies keyboard harmony. If you're classical, you do keyboard harmony, you know, harmony from the keyboard. And, the keyboard. and I realised that there is a total different way of teach of thinking about harmony if you're a guitarist. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, and I, and most jazz guitarists are basically trying to be piano players, you know. We, we, we all have to inhabit that keyboard harmony world. Big yeah. bands, they basically do piano voicing sometimes, yeah, a lot of the time, mm. you know, in the traditional things. But if you actually forget about jazz and just look at the way guitars are used in folk music, and I don't mean strumming guitars, you know. I'm interested in... I am interested in the strumming, but the picking guitars, you know, the pickers. Mm. Of course, then you have to go to James Taylor because he's probably the cleanest and most authoritative and, you know, picking guitarist who, with a big harmonic vocabulary. Mm. And then, of course, you realise that, you know, um, we have this other we have this other language. So, so the, the language of guitar harmony is to do with the, you know, what's the nearest cadence? You know, and you realize that, that most folk harmony is plagal 4 1 instead of 5 1, because yeah. that's the nearest, you know. I mean, I don't play guitar that well, but I know that if I, you know, if I play a bar chord A, D is not far away, you know. Yeah. It's easy to get to the, it's, it's closer than going E to A, you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah, have yeah. to move more, you know. So it's expedient to be, and when you deck, and the other thing I realized with guitars is they don't think vertically necessary in that style, is that if you play A, you hammer on, you yeah, know? Yeah, of course, yeah. So a lot of those notes are inflection notes, you know, they're not like notes, they're kind of like embellishments of something else, yeah. but they become part of the sound. Like gestures and things gestures, like that. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, it's like... Um, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. And it seemed that there's so much that guitars do. And then you realize that piano players are completely, there's nothing in their training that prepares them to play music like that. Yeah. That's conceived from that kind of guitar playing. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a few piano players who could, most of them have worked with James Taylor, Don Grolnick. Yeah. Larry, Larry Golding. Yeah, they completely get it. But they're rare. Mm -hmm. They're very rare. And I think it's like a it's a course of study that people don't really engage with because they don't sometimes they don't even know it's a thing. Mm. And then so so I found that like plagal harmony. I found that that, that there is this thing in guitars. You know when my, you know my son's a guitar, guitarist, so I've got very close to that sound, listening to how he's been writing songs for the last ten years. And um, there are there are there are open strings that 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 ring through everything. So you'll get a rogue note in the chord that sounds very cool. And it's not, it's not part of the chord, it's just part of the key. Yeah. I realise that there's a way of guitarists play sometimes where the key key is always there on top, you mm, know. The one and five. Yeah, one and five or a one, two and five or something, mm. or those little things that yeah, ring through beautiful. everything and they change the landscape, you know. Mm. And, uh, and they kind of secure it in a way. They, yeah, they, they like, do. And they, they cement support the, key. the melody. They support yeah. the melody, the key center like that. And I think, well, the chord symbols that we use is, is inadequate. You know, you start having to do things like, you know, if you decide, you know, you you've got, you might have a C5, just a root mm. and fifth. And then but when you put an F under it, it becomes F sus2. Yeah. And then, and then if you put a G under it, it's a G sus4, you know. But if you put a D under it, it's D minor 11 or with a foot, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if yeah. you put an A under it, it's A minor 7, you know? Mm. So it's that. And if you saw all those chords in a row, piano players who don't know would just make a meal of all that. Be, <laughs> can you imagine with all those numbers? Yeah. And go, oh, and they changed. And they wouldn't ever think to just go C and G and let's keep that on the top of everything while I move the bass note around. 
It's like a whole other way of thinking. Yeah, it's massively another way of thinking. Yeah, so good. So um, so many great moments in that. I loved that. Absolutely loved that interview, particularly when he was talking as well about working in the West End, because that's a, quite a departure for him for a year from what the normal kind of stuff he does actually. Yeah. And um, I think that was quite an experience. So yeah, go back and check that out in that episode if you haven't listened to that yet. Um, you've got another clip as well, haven't Definitely. you? Yeah. No, I was I was I was going to add um, Joe Webb to the mix because he talks a lot about and and I I found that episode so fascinating because he's very much. He very he almost implicitly treats the piano like m- multiple instruments in one, um, because he's talking about yeah. learning these styles and and particularly mastering the stride style, um, and mm. and sort of the way you again it's about embodying harmony. I, I find that idea so fascinating, and I think my warm up that we discussed a, a few minutes ago is 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 all about sort of trying to bridge that divide between sort of the intellectual understanding the theoretical understanding and the sort of practical understanding of how you put the, put it into practice and and the piano is a difficult instrument to approach i think for for beginners and 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 advanced players actually alike because you have to very much have in mind what your end goal is what your end product is and what genre and style and tradition as well that you're kind of operating within so i thought it was so cool when joe was talking about um that joe webb that is about sort of the 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 how how he looked at, at stride piano and, and how he learned that style um from art tatum uh from oscar peterson oscar peterson is one of my absolute all-time heroes mm. of the instrument um he's just incredible i mean he's out of this world isn't he um and and, and errol garner and like you, you know and and sort of treating it like that because it's such a different way of looking at the piano when you've got the rhythm section in your left hand and then yeah. your right hand is free uh, i love watching joe of... when he moves as well oh it's so Sorry, if you actually if anyone go watch any clips of him online like on his instagram or on youtube look at how he moves his body when he moves it's like mm. he moves when he's playing the piano like a drummer his shoulders are like yeah. going i went to a um party like this like a uh, it's amazing this is this is a cool little story actually um, a friend of mine runs like an advertising agency and he's been listening to the podcast as well. A guy called Max, big shout out to Max. And hey, Max. we were talking and uh, he, he listens to the podcast and Joe, Ebb, Joe Webb's episode had been on recently mm. and Max heard it. And I think they spoke about it at their office and stuff. And I was going to the party anyway. And they then, as a result, I think of the po- part of the pod, partly because of the podcast episode with Joe, they then invited Joe Webb to go and play at this event that was held in London Bridge. It's really cool. So Joe Webb was there with his trio and stuff. And I was just watching him and he's like, the way his body moves when he's playing is just, yeah. it's like a drummer. It's like he's dancing. And I think he talks about that a lot when he's, when in, in the interview as well, when we were, when we were chatting about how this is dance music and how it's got to make you yeah. move. It's got to make you feel yeah. something. And for me, he has, he's just, so all over that style he's so deep in that style yeah. that it's so i just i find it really hard to even tell the difference between him and one of the greats i yeah, can't like I, I basically just can't it? yeah just or any art yeah. tater all these people he just yeah he just has embodied that music yeah so there's deep. something like and there's something kind of there's a there's a kind of real humility to that as well i think kind yeah. of really paying homage to the tradition and mastering mm. it before almost before you break it i mean if you it, it's, it's all very easy to kind of come in and break something without fully understanding it first but i think kind of have putting your when i say break it i don't mean that in a kind of literal sense i mean sort of putting your own uh, yeah. particular voice and putting putting your own perspective on something but um having that deference i guess to mastering a style um and, and a tradition first and then 
sort of doing something with it because I think it's fair to say that I mean Joe definitely has his own voice like I can I can hear yeah. him in and in that and I've seen quite a few of his clips as well um, and, and seen him rocking out you know physically while he's playing it's kind of like Thelonious Monk I mean you know when yeah. he, he would just stop midway through a solo and just get up and dance because that for him was like part of the same part expression of yeah, part of the yeah, whole yeah. thing yeah. Um, and it's it's just yeah it's just a very particular way of looking at the instrument I mean some people I think look at a keyboard uh and i use that that term like advisedly because it because it's both an organ and and a piano and and some people look at it like a percussion instrument and mm. and that in itself is is a dance thing really percussion is a dance thing yeah, and then 100%. and then you have people that look at it uh like a kind of way of executing kind of preformed ideas that exist in the yeah. mind and transferring it almost like a pen on paper um it's two very very different ways of looking at the instrument i think but um yeah marrying those two and i think kind of yeah joe's discussion just yeah just just helps to clarify that in your mind as well it's such a great episode um i'm gonna play a little clip from that episode now so everyone can um everyone can check it out here's joe webb I was in my in my last year of college because um, I, I was obsessed with Brad Meldow, Keith Jarrett, you know, like the, a lot of our heroes, yeah. um, you know, right, right, rightly so. Um, I was yeah obsessed with like modern piano, right? And um and I yeah I was like I want to I want to make these I want to make these records that basically emulate Brad and and you know I want to play standards like Keith Jarrett. I want to be yeah just I don't know I want to want want to make modern jazz music, and um and yeah, like I, 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 I've become so yeah, super, super obsessed with it that I just got a bit blinkered with anything else. I wasn't allowing anything else to come in because I went yeah, like obviously going into music college, I was obsessed with Oscar Peterson, and then during during college, I kind of persuaded myself that it was just bluesy and it wasn't cool and it was just swinging. It was just like it wasn't it wasn't um, intellectual enough basically. Because I was like, oh, I'm a serious jazz musician now in college, right, you know, yeah. like just just telling myself that, you know. So, um, yeah, so after this, it, it, it was, I had about three and a half years of that. And then in one of my last lessons with Nick Weldon, I was a bit late turning up and he was playing the tune, Don't Blame Me, but in stride. And I was like, what is this? You know, mm. it's like, what is this all about? And he was like, yeah, he's, you know, it's a stride piano, stride piano. So like, and it, you know, the, 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 uh, the like nugget was in my brain. I was like, okay, cool. So I, I need to. I need to like kind of like look into that. So, you know, he, he said, check out Fats Waller, James P. Johnson, all these things. I was like, yeah, yeah, wh um, whatever. And then, and then the week after that, Kit Downs was playing. I think he was playing with his trio at the time, which was James Madry and Callum Gawley, and with a guest, Ben Van Gelder, okay. um, came to Dempsey's to play. And um, I think, I remember Kit going through a phase of loving Louis Armstrong. So right. he was playing in this kind of similar vibe. And I was like, is that, I was like this, this music is some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard in my yeah. life. And I think that like, I was really put off by the kind of graininess of the recording. So I was like, I wanted pristine, like I wanted to, I wanted like the yeah. most high def sound. You know, I, I wasn't willing to kind of compromise the music for the quality of the recording, you know. So I just didn't bother listening. To, I didn't want to listen to Teddy Wilson, Fats Waller, or, you know, all the people from the 30s and the 20s and 30s. Yeah. So yeah, within, within two weeks after hearing Nick, play some play some of that stuff for me um and then kit play some of that stuff for me i was like oh i really want really want to like um look into it and then the whole emotional side of the music started to play in where i was like i listened to that music so much and i completely well like, i was not completely I'd, I'd started to fall in love with that music but not really realized how deep it was mm -hmm. going to have an effect on me um so then yeah so then i 
moved them back. I moved to Basingstoke to live with my auntie and uncle who lived next to my nan. Um, so yeah, so like I had um, I had a really weird like existence there for 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 a few for a few months because I would um yeah so during yeah during the days um I would yeah I'd sit sit and practice because everyone everyone else would would be out at work and things um, and I'd pop over and see my nana grand I'd have some food have a cup of tea with them in in, in the breaks and then um <clears throat> because I was sleeping on the sofa in 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 their house because my cousin was in was was but was was sleeping in his room obviously um I just would practice throughout the night then with headphones and my Nord right um and I, and I was I was you know doing at least like. 15 hours you know uh, between wow. like in, in the evening and and the daytime and and you know i remember getting a call when i was living get, get, one, one of my mates um evan clegg i don't know whether you yeah, know, no, evan. know evan. Your, yeah 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 he's great yeah, yeah. so went, yeah so he 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 called me up and was like look i'm um there's this there's this gig called the ilsa tavern that i'm going to be fixing um they want to have early stride piano music early mm. kind of field music there like do you play that music and i was like yeah even though I didn't at all, right. but I was like, I've all I've got here is time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I was like, when's the yeah. first gig? Just, you know, I want to get match prepared. I want to get match ready. Um, so he was like, yeah, so it's going to start in two months. So I was like, okay, cool. So now all this practice has an aim now. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, as opposed to just practicing, trying to write some music, which, yeah, like, yeah, that, that, I, that I wanted to kind of chisel my like sound with. Mm. Yeah, so amazing. Um, yeah, I love Joe. He's absolutely brilliant. There's a really amazing solo Oscar Peterson record, uh, like a, a track called You Are My Sunshine. Oh, and yeah. it's just absolutely yeah. brilliant. And the tempo is just like, I'm going to have to send it to you. The tempo is like so just under where you'd expect it to be, but it just swings so hard. Yeah. So good. I love, I love, he I love all that music. So I remember like hard. night when I discovered Night Train, that was really... I mean, the thing for every piano player when you discover Night Train, it's like quite it's a so big true. moment. That, yeah, it's, that it's actually, album. and and I think um, Joe talks about that as well, doesn't he? And I think actually, yeah. or you bring that up in the podcast. And, Maybe, yeah. And it's, or somebody does, because actually that really resonated with me as well, because that was the first jazz piano album I ever listened to. Yeah. When I was, I don't know how old I was, I was probably early teens or something like that. And I, I just thought it was magic. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I played all these things by ear and I was, you know, I was the kind of kid at school who, you know, if some one of the cooler kids would come up to me and say, like, oh, I want to sing, you know, whatever was big at the time, probably like Angels, Robbie Williams or something like that. And then I'd just play the piano with them. And like, or, or like there were these kind of, you know, older kids that wanted to write pop songs and sort of like, oh, how do you do it? And I just kind of helped them sort of construct these things things and and um and, and you know when you have that sort of background you're playing triadic music and you kind of you're, you're approaching it sort of you're constructing it from scratch in a way like you've heard mm. i don't know the record but then when i heard oscar peterson playing night train it was just i, I just couldn't believe it i, yeah, I honestly like that thought sound, that i the, just didn't understand yeah. how that was done yeah. And, I, and I still don't fully understand how it's done, but I have a much better idea now than I did back then. I mean, back then yeah. I honestly thought this is unhuman. Have you ever transcribed stuff before? Have you ever like like solos and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess transcription, it, it sounds like you're writing stuff out because it's got mm, the word scribe Just because of the it. word, yeah. But actually I think what I tend to do is just listen, 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 and then copy rather than write out. I haven't written out any... I probably have like years ago, but I haven't sort of properly transcribed a solo. But because the, the process of like writing something out is almost another skill again. It's almost it's it's not quite 
it's not embodying it, I guess, in a way that's very useful. Mm. Um, I guess when you're transcribing a solo, you're kind of, you have to ask yourself, why, why am I bothering with this? Like, what am I trying to do? Do I want to play this literal solo or do I want to kind of take some of those ideas and, and ways of dealing with certain musical problems that you might encounter when playing and sort of learn from the way this master of the craft yeah. has sort of done it um, yeah. and, and for me it was very much the latter not the former and, and i get that people want to be able to literally play uh i don't know i love paris as oscar peterson played it but I, i've never found that too interesting really mm, yeah it's yeah i mean I've, I've done a bit of both i mean i've um i remember the first thing i transcribed was it could happen to you uh, mm. from by Keith Jarrett off Tokyo 96 that's an amazing uh, that album. album yeah which is such yeah. a great album and he just like that intro I mean oh god I haven't played it for ages but it's like a It's even something like that yeah that's so Keith Jarrett yeah it's so it, you beautiful. know that I remember thinking, oh wow! So every time I go to a three chord in any key, I can go. Yeah, that's so like Thirteen sus. Uh, what would that be? That'd be flat nine, uh, sharp five. Yeah. So two, six as like a sus, and then to seven flat nine, and then you take yeah. that little like that jigsaw piece, yeah, and you do that in all keys. Yeah. You know what would it be? know and then suddenly you've got it in every you know i remember that being quite a big moment of realizing yeah. that you can just take little you don't have to it's not like you're learning the whole thing but you're learning it to then find little nuggets that you can take away exactly. like a little sort of like oh exactly. I'm, it's like you take home a little party bag yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But i transcribed the whole solo um you have time I'm, I'm intrigued though, so that when you had time to do that because that's a complex solo like it yeah takes well, I, just, I think i probably did it yeah, I, I think it was like the first thing i did i was like when i was doing my a levels and i had a oh, lesson with yeah. an amazing keys like piano player keys player called malcolm edmonston and he was like no you really just need to transcribe a whole solo and i kind of just did it and i learned it for the next lesson and just listened to it over and over again the weirdest thing though when you've transcribed a piece of music like that you know it so deeply and it you have quite an emotional response yeah, to it. Yeah, that's so true. When yeah. you hear it, like yeah. even me just playing it then, I suddenly go back to like sitting on the yeah. bus on the way to sixth form college. Absolutely. Like I, it, it's, yeah. it's amazing how music can do that. Even just that line, you know, um, that one. Mm. Uh, if that was a line you particularly focused on, yeah. It was just like, a, or just a particular bit of it, but that just, the sound of that just takes me straight takes me straight back to the number 40 bus well i think that's what happens oh. is when you listen to something yeah. over and over again at a very particular point of your life yeah and and it just evokes everything it's like it's like that classic proust moment where he eats the madeleine and just goes like straight back to his childhood it's it's that yeah. kind of thing it it's, just unlocks it's amazing things. how music can do that yeah particularly music that you then haven't listened to much since actually yeah I find. And then yeah. you hit because you knew it intimately at the time, and then you go back to it, um, having yeah. not listened to it for maybe several years, and that is so powerfully evocative. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. What's your? Do you have? Do you have like a piece of music that just takes you? 
I mean, it's probably quite hard to know without hearing it. You know, oh, sometimes when so, you hear it, you know it's one. But such an interesting question. It's also quite a personal question as well, isn't it? It's a really personal question as well. But I actually find questions like that really hard to answer. Like, if ever I'm pushed for an answer about particular pieces of music that have affected me, I I almost feel like I would have to have prepared it in advance because it's such an overwhelming amount of information. Yeah. yeah. Um. And and life and sort of changes in life experience and and sort of the relationship you have with music as you grow and, and change. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Wes Montgomery, I, I there's like full house as a record by Wes Montgomery, which I listened to. I was just really trying to, I don't know why I just listened to that record about a hundred times in a week. And that was maybe three or four wow. years ago. Um, and, and I, and I barely listened to it since. So when you raise that, that's kind of the first thing I think of. I, I love Wes Montgomery, but I haven't, yeah spent tons of time with that album since um but I, but i but i listened to it i don't know literally probably about a hundred times in the course of a week and whenever i now hear it that immediately takes me back to that actually very insignificant week of my life where i was <laughs> teaching composition to this guy that wanted to understand more about i don't know how to blend swing with latin time and, and i think wes does that in one of those tunes he switches between a swing swing time and a latin time within the same yeah same tune um and and i was kind of just listening i don't know it just takes me back but it was so insignificant but i think that's almost the genius of those moments that it doesn't yeah. necessarily take you to something kind of you know earth earth shattering it just takes you to a ordinary yeah. Tuesday afternoon when you're a bit knackered. Yeah, man. I, I, we like should that. definitely do. We should. We should do that at some point. Go through our sort of like desert island, whatever you call it, desert island discs. Are things that just music that's changed. I can think of another one as well. Yeah. Which was Jay. I remember just thinking about it now. I I ripped it off YouTube because I couldn't find it anywhere, like recorded. But it was a live version of Jason Rebello and Sting playing "Walking on the oh, Moon." Yeah. Oh, I'm cool. gonna. I'll send yeah. you it. It's really really yeah. cool. But I remember just I, hearing I him Sting. play solo piano. Like Jason, you know, playing playing solo piano and um, it just being him sounding like a whole band. And it was the first yeah. time I'd seen anything like that. You know, absolutely amazing. I'm going to put that, a link. Though? What was to, that live? It was a live Coliseum gig they did. I think they did have a band, but then the band went off and they did a number together. But they did, they did like a swing version of Walking on the Moon. And it was mm. also the first time I heard, like I, I sort of heard Mixolydian Harmony. You know, um, yeah. like those those yeah. kind of sounds where the five chords minor and um, mm. and that was just huge for me. I think, uh, mm. yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of and the the swing of it and the way he's using his left hand to kind of he sounds like a like yeah, it's just oh, a full band on the crazy. piano. So yeah. he actually uh, might be on might be coming on the podcast as well, which is pretty exciting. So yeah. yeah, yeah, look forward to that. Jason Rivera, oh. absolute genius. <clears throat> Well, Simeon, I'm going to let you go, man, because you're uh, you're not feeling uh, you're 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 not, oh, not feeling 100. I have to say, this has cheered me up no end. Oh, I was okay. actually thinking, <laughs> I was thinking this morning. Actually, will will I actually be able to get through this? But actually, it's been an absolute joy, as it always no, is. No, as always, it is, and it's so nice just it's, to talk about talk about music, isn't it? It's so good. Um, it is. It's a pl it's a, honestly it's a real privilege. Yeah, I can't. Uh, again, I can't really remember what we've talked about, but. Um, <laughs> it was I know, memorable i enjoyed all of it and, and it was yeah. and it was memorable and yeah i remember we, we, yeah we talked about some of our favorite people keith jarrett and all yeah. these things it's, it's great and it's a proper christmas kind of warm feel i reckon oh the pearl, the pearl upright piano that's christmassy enough for us all that is it yeah 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 <laughs> do you want to play us out with a little christmassy song uh it needs to be like uh what 
do you know the um, bit of O Come All Ye Faithful that has that crazy massive diminished, um, it has a f sort of big flat five chord, which is kind of the origins of that. And it goes like, uh, da, 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 da. do you know that bit? Oh, yeah, it's yeah. So good. You mean where it goes, uh, where it goes? It goes um, that one. Yeah, you're doing it in B flat. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing G like that. Oh, I see. And then it has that augmented, uh, the sharp five uh, with G7, a yeah. G G seven sharp five, and then and then it has this inner line that goes da 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 da. Oh, I am playing. You're playing in B flat. Oh, I am playing yeah. in B flat. Sorry, I thought I was playing it in G, which is the original <laughs> key. Uh, <laughs> Perfect B flat pitch. Shakir the day. Yeah. yeah, why the hell was I playing it in B flat? How bizarre. I don't know what's going on in this brain at the moment. Sorry. I'm... <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, do you know, last, I'll play one as well. Do you know, um, uh, my favourite one is the the different ways people play Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. You know that? Oh, you know, no, the, yeah. um, I love that song. Uh, you know. shift it into a new a new universe it's very good beautiful that is a good good place to end thanks so that much Simi. it's been a pleasure yeah sorry sorry i was uh not not able to match match your christmas beauty in that <laughs> road, roadsy way no uh, my, you were you were ham-fisted attempt at playing oh come were you faithful in a key which i wasn't fully across uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's good, man. It's all I good. I think that's the level we're operating at at this point. I'm sorry. To... No, it's cool, mate. It's oh, good. Dude. Thanks that so much laugh, for coming on. That, that sounds like I'm dying. It really yeah, doesn't sound good. You have to EQ that out. I will EQ that out. I'll get a, I'll get a plug in. <laughs> Cheers, Simeon. That was really fun. Have a great Christmas. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Simeon. Cheers. 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 Cheers.